Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Good morning. It is wonderful to be able to be here with you. Thank you, Pastor Don. Thank you, Sean, and the rest of the musicians. I got to tell you, I can tell when a church loves to worship. Um, I've been in many, and uh, watching you, listening to you worship the Lord together this morning was a blessing to me. So thank you, Graceway, for that. Um, So uh, a couple of tidbits about me, just to uh, get us all on the same page, because I'm a new guy, right? Um, you guys are welcoming to new guys, yes? yes. Oh, good. Oh, that makes me feel better. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, a couple of tidbits. First of all, uh, I work with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. I've been there, as Pastor Don said, for just a couple of years. In COVID time, that feels like about 10 years, right? Yes. Um, but realistically, uh, I've been, been there for just a couple, and I've loved the opportunity to begin helping all of our missionaries around the world be able to share Jesus with Jewish communities wherever they might be, from Australia and New Zealand all the way to Israel, of course, and around the rest of the world. And the first thing I have to do this morning is say thank you, Graceway, because you guys partner with us to be able to share the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ with his people all around the world and to anyone else who will listen, frankly. We get the opportunity to take not just the gospel but the love of Christ tangibly into all these different communities to share the message of of the good news of Jesus. So thank you, Graceway. I know that uh, Tom and Lorna uh, are familiar with your congregation, right? Anybody know Tom and Lorna? This means yes, this means no. Okay, yes, Uh, I love Tom and Lorna. They are some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, And also, I I didn't even realize this until this morning, but your previous pastor, Dick Emmons, uh, is, I I have enjoyed his ministry for a long time. So I'm just grateful to you guys for your partnership with us. Um, The other tidbit that you need to know about me um, before we get into the word together is that I'm a dad. Um, My wife is named Meg, and we have four... uh, very loud uh, children who uh, like to get up uh, somewhere in the five o'clock hour, ungodly five o'clock hour, right? Um, They are 11, nine, seven, and four. And as such, I find myself reading an awful lot of children's stories. Can anyone identify? Okay, a couple of you out there. Grandparents can raise your hands as well, that's fine. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so um, I thought this morning uh, you all know because of, it's, been, uh, it's been told to you already that we're going to be talking about Priscilla this morning from Scripture. We're going to be mostly in Acts chapter 18, uh, but we'll be in a couple of other places. But I thought this morning, before we jump into the text about Priscilla, that maybe we could read a children's story together. Is, is that okay? Come on, you guys, I'm an audience participation kind of guy. I'm in Jewish ministry. I need some interaction here. Does this, this means yes. Are we good with children's stories? Yes. 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 All right, good. Whew. I was worried there for a second. All right, so I want to share with you guys a story 
from uh, it's a series called Frog and Toad Together. Anybody familiar with Frog and Toad? All right. Frog and Toad goes something like this. This story is called Dragons and Giants. Okay? And it goes something like this. Frog and Toad were reading a book together. The people in this book are brave, said Toad. They fight dragons and giants, and they're never afraid. I wonder if we are brave, said Frog. We look brave, said Toad. Yes, but are we? Frog and Toad went outside. Whoops, I advanced too far. Frog and Toad went outside. We can try to climb this mountain, said Frog. That should tell us if we are brave. Frog went leaping over rocks, and Toad came puffing up behind. They came to a dark cave. A big snake came out of the cave. Hello, lunch, said the snake when he saw Frog and Toad. He opened his wide mouth. Frog and Toad jumped away. Toad was shaking. I'm not afraid, he cried. They climbed higher, and they heard a noise. Many large stones were rolling down the mountain. It's an avalanche, said Toad. Frog and Toad jumped away. Frog was trembling. I'm not afraid, he shouted. They came to the top of the mountain. A shadow of a hawk fell over them. Frog and Toad jumped under a rock. The hawk flew away. We are not afraid, screamed Frog and Toad at the same time. Then they ran down the mountain very fast. They ran past the place where they saw the avalanche. They ran past the place where they saw the snake. They ran all the way to Toad's house. Frog, I am glad to have a brave friend like you, said Toad. He jumped into the bed and pulled the covers over his head. And I'm happy to know a brave person like you, said Toad. And he jumped into the closet and shut the door. And Toad stayed in the bed, and Frog stayed in the closet, and they stayed there for a long time, just feeling brave together. <laughs> Isn't it funny how even when we don't feel brave, we can still do brave things, brave, adventurous, magnificent things, if we do it with someone else who cares about us. I'm sure you felt that feeling before, how powerful it can be to have someone in your corner walking with you through trials or challenges. It's really true that relationships can spur us on into great things, adventurous things, brave things that we don't even feel capable of doing, right? Maybe, I'm sure you felt this before. Maybe you felt it as part of a sports team, right? Maybe you've, maybe you've been on a team that motivated each other and encouraged each other into doing something awesome, beating a team you didn't expect or winning a championship that you never thought, I don't know. Maybe some of you are artists out there and, and, and you've been in a group of artists that kind of inspire each other and, and, and tell, help each other to risk to try new and different things you've never tried before and, and see some really cool stuff come out of it. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a parent who's had another parent come alongside them and, and listen to your war stories and give some advice 
and reminds you that the diapers will end. The screaming will eventually fade and they will emerge human on the other side 10 or 15 years from now. Right? We understand that those types of relationships can spur us on to great things. But when it comes to our spiritual condition, a lot of us have kind of bought into the lie of our very individually focused world, our, our culture around us. The, the have your own way type of culture, the you do you culture. Our society has, has turned our Christian walk into something far more private and personal than, frankly, the Bible ever models for us. Simply put, the Bible never presents your walk with God as something that you are able to do by yourself. It's always done in deep, highly intrusive relationships with people who genuinely care about one another. That's the ministry that God has called us to. Right, church? God has called us to creating these little communities all around the world of passionate Jesus followers whose values and whose relationships all run counter to the world around us while we show off the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God with humans, with us, in the midst of the world's gathering dark. The gospel transforming a people or individuals into God's people. And you can do that, Graceway. That's the mission of the church. That's what God's given you the spirit for. That's what God has enabled in you. When we commit ourselves, and this is my point today, when we commit ourselves to finding and living in biblical relationships, God can use them to fuel incredible spiritual growth and incredible ministry growth. When we find those partnerships, when we find those relationships, God can do great and incredible things through us. Biblical definitions of greatness are not beyond you. So how do we do that? Well, I think Priscilla and her husband Aquila, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention Aquila because it's like ladies of the Bible, right? Am I, I'm, I'm going to mention Aquila though, if that's okay. Aquila is Priscilla's husband. Um, they're excellent models for us for relationships that fuel ministry. I think that... Um, the six times that Priscilla is mentioned in the Bible, she's, she's always mentioned with Aquila. So I'm kind of going to lump them together. They were co-workers of Paul, and they helped build the Ephesian church. That's a port city uh, on the very western edge of Turkey, if you're familiar with that area of the world. And they modeled the types of relationships with Paul and with other Christians that really fuel a difference-making ministry. Their relationships truly fueled biblical greatness in the early church. So today we're going to talk about how to find relationships that fuel biblical greatness. Okay? How to find relationships that fuel biblical greatness. And I'm going to be honest with you, I am going to speed through most of this because each one of these is like 
I don't know, a 10-week course in how to do this. So we're just going to scratch the surface here this morning, but I hope that it, it fires up your imagination for what's possible with some of the people sitting around you even here this morning, all right? How to find relationships that fuel biblical greatness. So the first way to find that type of relationship, as modeled by Priscilla and Aquila, is this. Number one, pick a Christian to imitate. Pick a Christian to imitate. Let's read the text. We're going to be in Acts 18, as I said. We're going to read verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to skip a little bit, okay? So follow along with me as I read Acts 18. After these things, he, that's Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Jump down to verse 11. And he, again Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's jump down to verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer there in Corinth, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In uh, Kenchcray, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail then from Ephesus. All right, so... Number one way to find relationships that fuel biblical greatness, number one, is pick someone to imitate. The fact of the matter is that Priscilla and Aquila picked someone to imitate. You know who they picked to imitate? Paul. That's a pretty good one to pick, if you ask me, right? They, they learned from him, they followed him, they worked alongside him. Now, we don't know when they came to Christ. We don't know when that moment came when they understood Jesus was not just the Messiah, but he was their salvation, right? Odds are good that they were, um, <clears throat> that they were Jews, at least Aquila was, and Priscilla may have been as well, even though her name isn't distinctly Jewish. But the text tells us that Aquila was a Jew. They lived in Rome initially. Now, when the emperor Claudius got sick of all the uprisings going on in Rome, uh, we think that it's quite possible, most scholars think that it's quite possible that the reason he kicked all the Jews out of Rome, this is the Emperor Claudius, was because somehow, I don't know, the text doesn't tell us, somehow the gospel had already spread to Rome and the uprisings among the Jews that history tells us was the reason why he kicked them out may very well have been because Jews and Christians were kind of having it out there in Rome already long before anybody that we know of got there with the gospel. So Claudius says, that's enough. I'm done with all this controversy. Get them out. I want them, I want them gone. And Aquila and Priscilla had to leave Rome. Where'd they go? They went to Corinth. And as soon as they got there, almost right away, they meet Paul. And the text tells us, that they lived with him, possibly for the whole year and a half that he was there in Corinth. 
And they worked with him as tent makers. They sat under his ministry and his teaching everywhere he went. They supported him in his debates with the Jews and the Gentiles. And then, and then when he finally did leave Corinth a year and a half later, Priscilla and Aquila uprooted their entire lives and they left with him. They went with him. And he went to Ephesus first on his way eventually to Jerusalem. When he stopped at Ephesus, he started again doing what Paul does, sharing Christ with, among the Jews and then among the Gentiles as well. And, and you know what? When he left that place, who did he leave there? Priscilla and Aquila, people that he had just spent over a year and a half probably pouring his life teaching ministry into. That, friends, is a model for discipleship. Um, in, in the Jewish context, we would say that Paul became their rabbi. We would say that they began putting themselves intentionally under his ministry as his disciples. Now, when I say the word discipleship or I say the word disciples, uh, we implant into it a lot of our 21st century definitions. But in the first century, when you ask a Jew what is discipleship, it's a very formulaic thing. It's not synonymous with becoming a Christian. And frankly, in every reference in the New Testament, it's not synonymous. They're not the same thing, discipleship and becoming a Christian. Though sometimes the Bible does use them synonymously. Since long before Jesus, rabbis welcomed disciples to come and study and learn from them. Want to learn a little Hebrew? Just a teeny bit? All right. Uh, disciples in Hebrew is called Talmudim. Say Talmudim for me. Talmudim. That's right. That's the plural. Talmud is an individual. That's the word for disciple in Hebrew. And it's, I often tend to use that word because... When we're talking about the process of discipling a Christian to grow in their faith, it's very different from that first encounter with the gospel where you place your, your life in Jesus' hands for eternity. It's, it's different than that. Discipleship in the first century was an intense relationship. More than just a student with a teacher, though they studied the Torah, frankly, they had to memorize the entire Torah if they were going to move on with their studies. So it, it was study, but it wasn't just study. It was more than just being a follower, though, of course, if you were a Talmud under a rabbi, you would follow your rabbi everywhere he went. Like, Paul decides he's going to go to Ephesus. Okay, let's go to Ephesus. The rabbi decides that he's going to go to XYZ town. Okay, let's go to XYZ town. Let's do it. We're going to go wherever he goes. We're going to follow everything he says. We're going to learn everything we can from him. See, that's the essence of it. It's, it's this intense relationship of trying to become what your rabbi is. Not just know what he knows, not just do what he do, does, but become who he is. You learn his walk with God and you begin to imitate it. You understand the text the way that he teaches, and then you teach it just like he does. It's an intense commitment and passion for carrying your rabbi's mantle into the next generation. And only the very best, at least in Judaism at the time, only the very best, after years of imitating their rabbi, might receive his blessing and a commission to carry on his ministry elsewhere. That's discipleship in the first century. And again, I'm just scratching the surface here. But the whole point is, the, the relationship 
is at the heart of what it means now when the New Testament uses this term, disciple. The relationship is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. Priscilla and Aquila lived with Paul, worked with Paul, followed Paul. <laughs> I'd even argue that they planted the church at Ephesus just because he would do that. All in imitation of Paul because they were his disciples. That's the heart of discipleship, imitating another Christian. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Now, I have to ask, do you have a Christian that you can imitate? Because Priscilla and Aquila are about to do some pretty amazing things. And I'll tell you, none of it would have been possible without that year and a half of imitating and discipling under Paul. Do you have a Christian that you can imitate? It doesn't have to be someone as mature as Paul, because, I mean, there's not a lot of Pauls laying around for us to grab, right? Um, it doesn't have to be someone that, it, that mature in their faith or commissioned by Jesus himself in order to help start the Gentile church. It doesn't have to be that. You can imitate someone in this very room whose Bible knowledge you look at and go, man, that guy knows the text. Maybe I should go ask him what books I should be reading. Maybe I should go ask him how, how he's learned all these things, if it was school or if he studied with someone. or Maybe I should go get discipled by that guy and learn a little bit from him. You can imitate someone who's a prayer warrior. You can walk up to somebody that you know is always praying and say, instead of pray for me, say, can I pray with you? You have this cool relationship with God. I, I want that. Like, I want him to feel like he's hearing every prayer. I like, can I learn from you? You, you can even imitate someone who has the Bible learned, like memorized in ways that you don't. You say, hey, can I borrow your, your scripture memory flashcards? Or better yet, can we memorize a passage together? I've done that with my kids. It's life-changing. Can you, you can imitate someone who seems to be more compassionate than you. Hey, counsel me on how in the world I'm supposed to navigate this really muddied up relationship over here. You can imitate someone whose marriage is solid. Uh, please, go. Teach us some healthy habits. Being a disciple, being passionate and intentional about learning and growing as a Christian, frankly, folks, fuels biblical greatness. It makes possible what comes next. So that's one way to find a relationship that fuels biblical grace and greatness. The second one is this. The second one is this. Offer to disciple someone else. Offer to disciple someone else. Now, I know what you're all thinking here. Okay? I, I know you're thinking to yourself, well, that's crazy. I need to be discipled. I, I don't need to disciple. Right? Pretty much everybody here is probably thinking that exact same thing. But... Let's watch Priscilla and Aquila, okay? This is in verse 24 of chapter 18. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. 
And he began to speak out boldly in their synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. All right. So Priscilla and Aquila, also in imitation of Paul, decide that they're going to go make disciples as well. Someone comes to their local synagogue. Notice that they're still meeting in the synagogue, even though the church has, has begun kind of in that place. He, uh, they, they, they notice that Aquila comes and starts teaching, and his, his teaching ministry is powerful and fervent. This guy's got, he's got chutzpah, right? Like, this guy's ready to go. But he doesn't have all of his theology quite right. I believe he was probably a Christian because the text doesn't tell us that he came to Christ or that he was baptized. But even though he was a Christian, there were some things that he was kind of missing that Priscilla and Aquila had learned from Paul and Paul had learned from Jesus. You notice the hierarchy of how this works. And they pulled him aside after his fiery sermon in the synagogue, sitting in the Moses seat, right? They say, hey, can, can we take you out to lunch afterwards? We want to talk with you. And it seems as though they stayed, he stayed with them probably for some time because of some of the passages coming after that I can't really show you. It seems like he may have been there for, with them for months studying under them. Interesting, right? So the disciples take a disciple for themselves. And, and as they did, he learned, he grew, and uh, eventually he wanted to continue on his ministry over in uh, southeast uh, Europe at the time, in Achaia, and he planned to travel, and Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, I know a bunch of people over there. I, I know a whole bunch of Christians. Let me write a letter of commendation for you to encourage you in ministry, to send you out, to make sure that they greet you and understand who you are and that we love you and that we think that what you have to teach about the scriptures is fantastic. So they did. They wrote this letter. And he was welcomed by the church in Corinth that Priscilla and Aquila had been a part of. And then he taught, right? So I got to ask, how much guts does it take to walk up to a man who's been in ministry, maybe for years, visiting from somewhere else, and say, hey, buddy, brother, I love you. Can I disciple you? Got any takers here this morning? How much guts does that take? But at the same time, we have to think about, like, they had something that they had to give, right? I, I know, I know what you're all thinking. You're probably thinking, I'm not a super Christian. <laughs> I don't have this all figured out. I can't disciple anyone. I can't disciple someone like that. I'm not going to disciple even, you know, someone else in my church. I'm not a super Christian. I don't know enough. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm, I'm a bit of a hypocrite. I know I've got these other areas of baggage in my life that are not right. How in the world could I think so highly of myself that I have something to teach somebody else? Or maybe for some of you younger folks here who are listening, um, or maybe online, you might say to yourself, I'm just a kid. 
Why would anyone want to be discipled by me? I'm telling you, folks, the heart of discipleship is the relationship, the partnership, the choice of joining with someone. There is nothing more powerful than when someone comes alongside you and says, brother, sister, I love you. I want to stand with you through everything that you have to face. Or I want to stand with you through this area of your life. Or I want to be there to walk you through some of the things that I've learned along the way, but more importantly, just to find Jesus along the way with you. Can I walk with you for the next couple of months or weeks or years? Can we do that together? I've had that happen a couple of times in my life. Three or four men that have done just that. One wanted to teach me how to love God's word. One wanted to teach me how to grow in my marriage that was very troubled for the first couple of years. One wanted to deepen my understanding of theology. It's Dr. Mike, who you heard from a couple of weeks ago. He hasn't stopped. One of them uh, just wanted to pray over every teeny little struggle that I faced in my life. That's discipleship. Don't give in to the lie that you don't have anything to offer. It's not true. God has poured into you. He's used lots of different sources to do it. But it's not just for you. Don't give in to the lie that you can't have this type of partnership, this type of relationship that you can't disciple. You can make a huge difference in the spiritual health of a few key people that God has placed in your life. All you have to do is offer and humbly give what you've been given. That's a relationship that will fuel spiritual greatness. Last one. Last way to find relationships that will fuel spiritual great or biblical greatness. Number three, refuse to follow Jesus alone. Refuse to follow Jesus alone. Now, if I didn't have that last word on there, all of you would probably stone me and throw me out of the church, right? Not saying refuse to follow Jesus. Saying refuse to do it alone. Don't do it by yourself. There's three other references in the text to Priscilla and Aquila. I'm going to read them all for you really quickly here. They're all in Paul's greetings as he travels around the world and writes letters to the churches that he started. Okay, there's three other times that he mentions Priscilla and Aquila. And we learn a little bit about them in each one of these references. This is, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. He's writing to the church of Corinth. Paul says, the churches of Asia, that's where Ephesus is, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Priscilla and Aquila, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. The house church that Priscilla and Aquila have in their home in Ephesus sends you greetings, guys. 2 Timothy 4.19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. This was Paul's last letter to Timothy. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Notice that Paul sends to Timothy, hey, say hi to my beloved friends, Priscilla and Aquila, for me. You're their pastor. So they have this relationship 
with the man that Paul set up to be the elder of the church of, elder, uh, of Ephesus. They have a close relationship with their pastor. Then in Romans 16, 3 to 5, this is maybe one of the more interesting ones. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Paul is writing to the Romans. And he just said, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets in their home. Where have Priscilla and Aquila been for the past however many years? 15, 20 years? In Ephesus. But all of a sudden, one of his last letters, Paul is saying, hey, say hi in Rome to Priscilla and Aquila who live there. They moved. They moved to Rome. And guess what they did? The same thing they'd been doing. They started a church that met in their home and discipled. And it met in their house. They opened their home, their stuff, their food, their lives. Everywhere they went, these two were building Christian communities and healthy discipleship relationships, even when there weren't any there before. They refused to live isolated Christian lives. Catch that. Even if there were no Christians, they went and made Christians disciples of Jesus. They gave their whole lives to it. My home, all the stuff that I've got. Come, guys, let's learn together. Let's follow Jesus together. Not alone. I'm positive it was messy. <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with frantic cleaning before friends come over, yes? Yeah, that's what we called it in my house growing up. Frantic cleaning! Someone's coming up the driveway. And then, of course, picking up after they leave. <laughs> leave it until Monday, right? Emotionally, it's probably messy, too. It's hard to welcome people into the more embarrassing parts of our lives, isn't it? Our failures are stuff we'd rather keep hidden, like unfolded laundry that we dump on the bedroom, back bedroom that we don't want people to see. My sin, my mistakes are so much easier to see the closer that you get to me. Right? Plus, sometimes we get hurt. It's not easy to open your lives in this way. It's easier to just not allow people in. Let's be honest, right? It's easier. Or it's easier to say, man, nobody else seems to want it the way that I do. Nobody else seems to feel this same tug towards deep, intimate, Jesus-pursuing relationships. So I'm just not going to fight for it. But the fact of the matter is, church, that we were made for these deep, intimate Christian communities. The only thing that God said was not good the first week of creation was when Adam was alone. When Jesus commissioned us, his, his disciples, to go out into the world, he wanted them to make disciples, not just Christians. And Jesus' last prayer for his disciples in John 17 before he was arrested was, Father, make them one in the same way that you and I are one. This is why I believe that Christian community is a spiritual discipline. We 
fight for it. I love this quote from Ed Stetzer. He says, Just as the mighty sequoia would topple without a community of supporting trees, believers who seek transformation apart from Christian community are vulnerable to spiritually topple in the winds of adversity. We need each other, church. In discipleship, in small groups, in prayer partners, in accountability, in celebrations, in worship, in every way you can think of. Your whole life given to this. We aren't meant to be alone in our walk with God. And if we desire to experience the greatness of what God can do in us and through us, we'll refuse to walk with God alone. We'll fight for the community that fuels biblical greatness. If we could have our worship team come, please. We're going to close. I don't know how Frog and Toad got together. I don't know how they became that type of friendship with one another. But I don't think it was because they were looking for biblical greatness. (laughs) I don't think it comes from a gospel-centered life that desires to have an impact for Christ, right? I mean, they're frogs and toads. But I'll tell you what, man. I sure am looking for it. And I think you probably are too. And in Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, through the work he's doing in you, and our commitment to it, it's possible, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which encourages us, which enlightens us, your very words given to us. We praise you for them. Take them now into our hearts and do your work in us with them. Father, we are so grateful for the church that you have made, sometimes more than others, but Lord, I pray that you would draw us into these deeper relationships, deeper community as we live our lives intentionally together. May you do it by your power. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.